Well, hallelujah. He is not here. He is risen just as He said. And if the resurrection wasn't true, you might as well just pull out a crystal and have a new age experience, which would be no experience at all. But He's alive. And He is real. Amen? Well, happy Resurrection Day. Um, I am glad to be here worshiping a risen Savior together with you. So we now are going to worship Him in the Word. Now, last week, I, I really I wanted to move into uh, one of our classic resurrection passages. We were in Luke chapter 23, and we were looking at those thieves that were hanging on the cross on either side of Jesus, listening to the message of the Spirit in them. I can't get out of chapter 23 today. So I'm going to ask you to take your copy of the Word of God and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 23. I want to read a single verse to you out of chapter 23 today, verse 33. And whereas we looked at this section expositionally last week, I want to look at verse 33 through the lens of several different scriptures this morning. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to stand for the reading of Luke 23 and verse number 33. And when they came to the place which is called... Calvary, or the skull. They crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. You may be seated. Somewhere outside of the city of Jerusalem, there was this hill. It was a place that was called Calvary. That's the Latin term for it. The commoner referred to it in Aramaic as Golgotha. Some of your translations just simply put the skull because that is what the term means. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, which verse 33 was written, the word is cranion, which sounds like an English word you should know, cranium. And you should know what a cranium is. That's the anatomical term for the eight cranial plates that cover the brain part of you. It, this is what that place was referred to as. Now, why it was referred to as the place of the skull or Calvary, um, it, it has been debated. But the general consensus in church history is simply that it is because it was a great place of execution where there were many criminals that had died on the hill called Calvary, the place called Calvary. But on this day, somewhere around 31 A.D., on a hill outside of Jerusalem, Two criminals died, but one innocent man, God come in human flesh, hung there. And that is our great hope, the one 
who hung in the middle and who three days later rose from the grave. Amen? Well, this morning, I simply want to ask one probing question that we're going to think about looking at some different scriptures. Is what, what about this place called Calvary? What about this place? Well, I would say, first of all, this place was a place of prophetic prominence. It was a place of prophetic prominence. You see, it, it was a place, this place called Calvary, this place called the Skull, this place where there was crucifixion occurring. This place was a prophetic theme in the Old Testament. You can go back all the way to the book of Genesis and in Genesis chapter 3 with the first prophetic utterance we have in Scripture coming from God Himself to Adam. When He was having the discussion after the rebellion, what did He say to the serpent? He said that there would be one, this one that would come from the seed of woman. He would crush your head, but you would what? Bruise His heel. And that bruising of the Son would come. On Calvary's cross. You can fast forward to Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22 we find David writing words that would actually, and I don't think David was aware of this because he was writing from a, a, an experience. And so as he was writing this, it was a foreshadowing. God was using, it was foreshadowing prophetically of what the cross would be like for Jesus himself. You, if you want to sometime, go back, read Psalm 22, and you see what the cross was like, not from the crowd looking up, but from Christ in his humanity looking down. You can go to other places like... Isaiah chapter number 52, and in Isaiah chapter number 52, all the way from verse 13 all the way through chapter 53 and verse 12, we find one of the clearest prophetic utterances about 700 years prior to the cross being prophesied and spoken about there. We read things like this in verse 14 of chapter number 52. He says, And many were astonished at you, his appearance, this is talking about Christ, was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Well, how was he so marred? Well, you go through into chapter 53 and he begins to talk about how in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted because he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. You can go to places like Zechariah, chapter number 12. And in Zechariah, in chapter number 12, beginning in verse 10, we have a prophetic reference to the cross, to the cross at a place called Calvary. He says there, he said, I will pour out on the house of David. This is the Lord God Almighty Yahweh speaking. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, look on who? Yahweh. When they look on me and 
on him whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. But it speaks of one whom they have pierced. And so the Bible has spoken of this prophetically, this place called Calvary. Every time there was an Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifice, every time a priest would take a lamb and they would slit its throat and drain its blood and place it on the altar of sacrifice, though they did not perceive it fully and correctly, that was a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice once and for all. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that would take upon Himself the sins of everyone in the world that would believe upon him. Now, it was a place that was prophetic in the teachings of Christ. Jesus himself taught prior to that he was going to be killed. He was going to be crucified. I know in the synoptic Gospels, that's in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, there are three different occasions where Jesus predicts His death. I know that, that in John's Gospel, there are some indirect, more subtle references to Jesus teaching that His death was going to come. But it was a, it was a theme that would come up in the teaching of Christ. And it was a prophetic theme because it was a predetermined plan. You see, what did, what did Luke himself teach us in Acts chapter number 22 about this crucifixion on a place called Calvary? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, he said these words. He said, men of Israel, and this is Peter preaching, Luke's recording this, Peter's preaching, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. You yourselves know this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. This place called Calvary where the Lamb of God was slain, it was a predetermined plan. It was always God's plan, as I've told you before. And as John writes in John chapter number 13, he refers to Jesus as the one who was slain from before the foundations of the earth were laid. It was always God's plan was Calvary. This place called the skull. This place of prof- not, was not just a place of prophetic prominence. It was a place, secondly, of penetrative pain. It was a place of penetrative pain. Pain that is unimaginable. It was a place of physical pain. We think of that, first of all, when we think of Calvary's cross. It was a place of excruciating physical pain. As a matter of fact, let me read to you a description of the pain, the physical pain of crucifixion. This one has, as a victim was crucified, 
He slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists. Excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As his arms fatigue, cramps sweep through his muscles, knotting them deep, relentless, throbbing, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of limitless pain, cycles twisting, cycles of twisting, joint-wrenching cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep, crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium, that's the sac around the heart, slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level and the compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into tissues and the tortured lungs and making... and the lungs are making frantic efforts to gasp for small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. And all of this physical pain is encapsulated in the simple phrase of verse 23. And there at the place called Calvary, they crucified him. Wow. It was an agonizing, physically agonizing horror that Christ endured for six hours. It was a place, not just of physical pain, but of emotional pain. Even though God became flesh, we must remember that He was flesh. He was a human. He felt that pain. It was also, because of His humanity, it was a place of emotional pain. Can you imagine what Christ felt like as He felt separation from the Father? Can you imagine what that was like when He cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Matter of fact, that's a prophetic reference back in Psalm 22 if you go back and read it. That phrase that he uttered from the cross. But guys, it was more than physical pain. It was more than emotional pain. I once had a lady one time that 
told me, she said, I don't see how people can say Jesus was, how the Bible can say Jesus was marred more than any man. She said, I know people that have gone through physical atrocities worse than this. Okay, I'll, I'll give her that on a physical level. But I looked at her and I said, the cross isn't just about the physical pain. The cross is much more than the physical pain. And listen to me, what Christ went through physically is only the tip of the iceberg of the pain that he went through. That is only illustrative in the physical of what Christ endured in the spiritual. We cannot begin to wrap our minds around what it was like, for as, Jesus, as Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians, what it was like for he who knew no sin, knew no sin, knew no rebellion, knew no sin, to become sin, to bear the weight of our sin, our filth, our lust, our murder, our hate, our gossip, our evil, our racism. He bore the weight of that which he had never, ever done. He was bearing those sins. Innocent, spotless Jesus. Wow. Wow. And because he was innocent, Jesus, he was able, he was able to bear in six hours what we would have to bear for an eternity. Wow. So it was a place of penetrative pain. But this place called Calvary, this place called the skull, it was more than that. It was a place of propitiation and purchase. It was a place of propitiation. That, that word means to appease or to bear Literally, in the Greek, the word that you, John uses in 1 John for propitiation, it, it, it means wrath-bearer. You see, it was a place where the wrath of God was forever satisfied for those who will believe. Now that's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing. Because Jonathan Edwards is right. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God. God has always been angry with sin. Infinitely angry with sin. And He will always be infinitely angry with sin. But on Calvary's cross, His wrath for believers was satisfied and His anger is not there like that. Wow. That is amazing. You see, he became, 1 John chapter 2, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our sins, who? 
Our sins, believer. That's who. Our sins, not only ours, but also for the Gentile world as well. Jew and Gentile. Believers atone for. Wow. Atone for their sin. And, and he... And here's the thing. I want you to understand. Wrath, if you, if you don't trust Christ, that wrath is not satisfied. Jesus taught. Jesus taught in John chapter 3 and verse 36 that those who do not obey the gospel, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, upon them the wrath of God remains. It remains. Wow. Well, because it was a place of propitiation, it was a place of purchase. You see, the debt that we sinners owed, for we owed a powerful wage, for the wages of our sin is death, eternal death. The debt that we owed was paid in full. Jesus paid. When Jesus paid that debt in full, He purchased for Himself a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Wow. As I already mentioned, Jesus paid our eternal debt, what we would have to pay forever and ever and ever and ever because He was Jesus, perfect Lamb of God. He paid it in six hours. Wow. Wow. So this was a place... Not only this place called Calvary, not only a place of propitiation and purchase, but it was also a place of pervasive power because of these things. It was a place of, per, of pervasive power. It, it has because of what Christ did at a place called Calvary on a rugged Roman cross. Because of that, because of that, there is power. He, there's power to forgive your sins. The cross is the center of forgiveness. There is power to forgive, power to wipe away because of a place called Calvary, because of God becoming human flesh and God hanging on that Roman rugged cross, that rugged Roman cross. Because of that, He has the power to wipe them away as far as the east is from the west. He has the power to make though your sins be like scarlet. He can make them white as snow. He has the power that when you come to Him, your sins are wiped away past, present, and future. He secures it for those that repent and turn to Him. Wow. Nothing... Oh, we sing it sometimes. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. And it powerfully cleanses. Not only does it have the power to forgive, but obviously it also has the power to save. The same power that took that one thief on the cross to heaven the day that he bowed his head has the power, the saving power to rescue evildoers today because that power is inexhaustible. There is no one in this room 
who desires to be saved. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your present is. If you desire to be saved, there is no one who is beyond the saving power of Almighty God in Christ. Hallelujah. That is amazing grace. You see, this place called Calvary is a display of the gravity and the greatness and the glory and the gospel gladness that is found there. That took place. And this place that was prominent prophetically where there was pain that penetrated beyond the physical but to the emotional and the spiritual. This place where there was propitiation and purchase. This place where there was pervasive power being displayed. This cross. This event. Do you know the power of that place called Calvary? Do you know it personally? Do you know the power of the Christ that hung on Calvary? Have you been born again? Again, I'm not asking, and I know I say this over and over, but I'll say it until the day I die. Because there's too much religion in the church. I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you went through a ritual. I'm not asking if you walked down an aisle. That's, that's religion. I'm asking you if you have trusted Christ. I'm asking if you've had a place where you've repented and you've had an encounter with the living Christ. Where He has made you alive. And that is all His work. Have you? If today you want to talk about this gospel, I'd be glad to talk about this gospel because if the good news is you don't save yourself, He's mighty to save. You hear me? He's mighty to save. Wow. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed.